0: sound of heaven sing.
1: Thank you, Taylor. That was incredible. You know, Dean always says this. Taylor called me a few days ago and said, Dad, what do you want me to sing? And I said, well, just sing what the Lord puts on your heart. And that is going to dovetail with my talk today perfectly. And thank you all for your support and your text. My phone has been chirping for several days now. I really... It's needed, and I appreciate it. And you know, I usually give the the talks on Thursday at the men's lunch, and I'm in the rotation for Monday nights at the prayer meeting. And when I can, I like to give a topic from my own personal experience or what we're doing, something's happening in our family, and that's what I'm gonna be doing today. And I'm gonna start out with a little sports quiz. There's a few fans in here, I know. My teams are the 49ers, Giants, and the Warriors. Now tell me what these players have in common. Jimmy Garoppolo, Johnny Cueto, Kevin Durant, DeMarcus Cousins, and Mac Williamson. I knew, I said, I said, Vince is not going to work security today, he has to be in here. And, And Mike was my backup. It's true, they all had major injuries, and they were out for a long time, some of them for a whole year. And what happened? The teams kept playing. They finished out the season, they didn't take the ball home and quit. And they finished the games. And some of them played great when they got their chance. Steve Kerr had a habit of playing his top five guys nearly the whole game, just wearing them out. And when push came to shove, he had to play his bench. And he was asked, after the bench contributed so much, he said, I probably should have played them more earlier. And that's the same way we are in church. Jeff fills in for Dean, Jeff is sick, so Adam fills in for Jeff, Mike is doing the Wednesday nights, and Gina gave a wonderful devotion on the Monday night. So the doors are open today, even though we have many, many people out. And you know, for a while, Adel has been, let's just say, enthusiastically encouraging me to, to give a talk on a Sunday, and I, likewise, have been enthusiastically resisting him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, this is true. Thursday, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one to do a lot of talking, but that's kind of my limit. Sometimes I'll make four pages to talk for five minutes. And it, and it takes a long time to prep these. Sherry knows that. And I'm not going to say comfortable, because that's not the right word, but I was, let's just say, I was used to doing the talks on Thursday. And I I told Adol, you know, I maxed out, you know. So I think a lot of us, this is actually the norm. I think a lot of us has a little Jonah inside of us. Randy covered Jonah very well a, a few weeks ago in his comeback message. And Jonah, he was not too subtle. He just ran away. And we'd like to stay in our comfort zone. Everybody does. That's that's normal in everything we do. Adel told me right to my face, he goes, when I started, all I wanted to do was lead the singing. Another man who gives the word said, I'll do anything you want. Just don't make me preach. So it's pretty common to be a resistor. Now, when we go out of our comfort zone, it puts pressure on us. It stretches us, um, pushes us to do other things, and we always think we know better what's best for us. Our plan is the best thing for us. And we're familiar with our ministries, and sometimes we think, "I'm good or doing this, that's good. Like this expert fisherman who who struggled all night but came up empty. In Luke 5, verses 4 through 6, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Sometimes we got to get out of, of the shallow end. We got to go into the deep end of the pool. We got to get out of that kiddie pool. You know, that kiddie pool is warm for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you learned how to swim, you know? That, That deep section, that nine foot section is pretty dark and it was scary the first time you were in there and there's no bottom. And, but then later on, it's a piece of cake. We had to get certain tests, right? Sydney, you're taking swim lessons, you have to pass certain tests to get comfortable in the deep end. Now Peter is getting advice from a non-fisherman That probably rubbed him a little bit the wrong way. He had fished in that sea hundreds of times, and Jesus is telling him what to do. He had his usual routine, he did it, and he came up empty. And he paused initially, a little bit of resistance, but he said, okay, if you say it, I'll do it. And what happened? He followed the Lord's plans to a T, didn't modify them, and he was blessed tremendously. He had never caught so many fish. And Jesus didn't say, wow, Peter, try the deep end. He just Jesus knew where the fish were, he knew what to do to bless Peter, and he did it. And Peter received this great blessing. I remember a young man from our church a few years ago, we were talking about devotions. You know, a lot of our men rotate and give devotions, and it's always a blessing. Um, and he said... Me and the Lord are good. I'm good with where I'm at. He was happy in his comfort zone. He wanted to stay in that shallow end. And that is not right. It's not spiritual. God calls the shots in our lives, not us. That I'm good, it stifles, it hinders, and it obstructs the Holy Spirit with working in our lives. In Isaiah it says... Woe to those who carry out plans that are not mine, and woe to those who hide their plans from the Lord. So the Lord is the boss. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Stifling a ministry or any sin in our lives quenches the Spirit. It's like quenching a fire. If you deprive it, of oxygen, it needs oxygen to live. If you deprive a fire of oxygen, it's going to go out. We do not want to deprive that Holy Spirit working in our lives. In Romans it says, live under the control of the Holy Spirit. So whatever we do to hinder him is a sin. And talking about taking control of our lives, here's the Lord's thoughts about that and us having our own plans. Instead of following God's commands over and over and over, you know, the, whole, the Israelites, the children of Israel, they messed up over and over, and they had to pay these huge, tough lessons. It's explained in Isaiah twenty-nine sixteen. you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? Of course not. Perfect sense. That's a great example. He's the potter. You know, we're the clay. We've heard this in many lessons. And one thing about that clay, it's malleable. A little water, make it into something different. If he doesn't like it, a little more water, smash it down. He can turn it into something different. And he's going to make, the Lord makes a decision on what he's going to make, and he's going to make something to his liking. It may not be our liking. And sometimes we turn things around and tell God what we're going to do. And we're cheap clay. We're pretty weak. But he can make something great out of that little blob of of cheap clay. And when you watch the potter, you know, the wheel spins, and wherever he presses the clay, he or she, the clay takes different shapes. And he puts pressure on it. And that's what he does to us sometimes until he's satisfied with the result. And the clay is not there on that wheel and says, you know, I want to be a pot today. Make me a pot or make me a vase or a cup. That's not the way it works. The Lord determines what's going to be made. And when you think who our potter is, it's Jesus Christ. It's his fine workmanship that determines our outcome. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And when I think about workmanship, it's generally used to a judge of um, quality in in work. You can make something pretty generic, base materials, put it together, and it will be functional. It'll be utility-based, say. But other projects require more skill, better materials, and a lot more time. And he is perfect, and we're his workmanship. And he doesn't do shoddy work. And he can't make a mistake. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're a work in progress. Some people are a lot farther along than others. I'm in that utility utility grade mode right now. And he's not done with us yet. And he's not going to be done until the rapture, because we're never going to be, we can't be totally like him, and that's what the goal is, but we can't be perfect. And he does this so we can be productive for his kingdom. We don't get saved to go to heaven that day. That never happens. He gets saved, we get saved so we can, we can be useful. And he strives to make us more like him. And it's all him. You know, I live, uh, we live two miles away from Ruby Hill Winery. And sometimes we walk out there or, you know, drive out there. And you see, off-season, the branches. It doesn't look anything attractive. They're on a, a grid. It just looks like firewood, practically. But in John fifteen five, we beautifully read, "I am the vine; you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." So we you know, we're the we're the branches, pretty useless. When you go by that same Ruby Hill winery in the season, it's gorgeous. It's all green, the vines are out, big clumps of grapes. It's a whole different thing. Everybody goes to Napa and you see that. I mean, and he is the one, the vine. He makes the fruit, he's the vine, he makes everything useful out of that. The branches, not very useful. So I knew all this stuff, you know, but I was conflicted. I had that Jonah effect going on. I prayed about it, asking the Lord to show me if he wanted me to do it, and I knew what the answer was going to be. And all of a sudden, a lot of messages were speaking directly to me, and Sherry and I have a devotion every night. And on the surface, the devotion would look like it had a normal uh, meaning to it, but I would see a meaning that was talking to me totally. And He was making his point. There's no doubt about that. I was the clay that was being, you know, spun on that wheel. And one day Randy said, there's five points, I'll mention three of them. One day Randy said, if leadership says to do something, just do it. So, okay, right? Uh, And it's amazing how the Lord speaks to us in, uh, in the messages. You know, when you say, boy, this was perfect for that person or this was perfect for that girl. That's not good. Every message at some point has something in it for each one of us. That girl might be the same thing, saying the same thing about you. You know, it's just we all can get something from all the messages. Then another day, I, you know, I, Ed and I put the verses up, and I was doing the verses that day, and I was back there, and... Um, Dean walked by me, he goes, Dean, where, where's your verses? He goes, oh, I'm not speaking today. And Barb was right next to me, and she goes, Brad, it's your turn today. Just another little dig about, okay. Uh, and then there's a couple more I won't mention, but some people watching will remember, and I, that got me thinking along the same uh, same thought. So when you ask the Lord to show you something in your life, he is going to do it if it's in his will, and he's going to make it clear. It's not going to be cloudy, you know, and it's not do what you want to do, what you feel. He's going to make it very clear to you, which, which uh, he did, and he's not going to confuse you. In Proverbs sixteen thirty three, it says, the lot is cast into the lap But it's every decision is from the Lord. He's the decision maker. So with all that in mind, I said, Adel, okay, I get the point. I will take a Sunday. (laughs) And I told him, so he gave me August 4th. And it's pretty familiar to be in that resistance camp. A lot of people do it. So let's see how two other people resisted and what their outcome was. In Exodus 3, 10 and 11, Moses is with Lord the Lord, one-on-one at the burning bush. He says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Very common MO of a resistor, the first thing is why me, you know, and that's, that's the initial step. Everybody does it. And then it, later, Exodus 4, verses 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he's, he's giving the Lord a clarification. Lord, you may know this. You might not know this, I'm slow of speech, I sputter, I can't can't do this stuff. Um, Obviously, you didn't know that about me, or you would have picked somebody eloquent. But that's not what the Lord did. And more resistance, very common. And the Lord, in extreme patience, and, and a tad of irritation in verse 11, says, The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So the Lord is, hey, I made you, I know everything about you, and you don't have to tell me that. In verse 12, now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. So and in verse 13, Moses' final rebuttal. But Moses said, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. So he's got like four resistance things that he does, and starting with the why me. And then when we do that, and it's natural. What about this guy? He's good at that. He's better than me. Use him. Use her. She can do it. You're telling the Lord, use that other person for this ministry. That other person may already have a ministry, or the Lord might have a plan for that person. So you're changing the Lord's plan for somebody else, And you're also trying to modify his plan for each one of us. So Moses did the right thing. He eventually relented. He got Aaron. And what did he do? He led the nation of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. We know that. They went through everything under the sun. Trials, hardships, mutinies, rebellions, everything. So, speed up 40 years in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. He says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That can't be the same man who said get somebody else. That can't be. But it is. Forty years later, the guy had doubted, said pick somebody else, slow a speech, and now he gives a speech like that. I mean, a complete leader. So that's how the Lord worked uh, Moses. And, and we can always refer to Hebrews, the famous Hall of Fame faith chapter. Now, what does that say about Moses? <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 24 to 27 and 29 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And verse 29 says, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do, though, they were drowned. So we have this to build our faith. We see what the Lord did to Moses, and that's in the record. That's resistor number one. Resistor number two, he used a different M.O., but he had his own uh, issues. When the Lord called Gideon, who was a disobedient nation, was oppressed by the Midianites, and it's a long story. It's actually in Judges 6 and 7. I picked through it. It's still quite a few verses, but it's, you can read the whole thing later. In Judges, start with 6 to 12, Judges 6 to 12 through 17. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give, you, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. So same thing, educating the Lord. Why me? I'm the, weak, I'm the weakest guy in the whole clan. Pick somebody else. Resist, resist, resist. But he comes up with his own uh, resistance. He says, give me a sign. So he wants proof. He didn't just buy into it right off the bat. Okay, Gideon's in verse 36 and 37. He says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. So, an impossible event to happen naturally. Everything's gonna get wet, or everything's gonna stay dry. But when you mix it up, it calls for a miracle. Verse 38, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed a fleece and wrung a dew in a bowl full of water. Miracle done, right? Gideon, I'm all in. Nope. <laughs> Verse 39. Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make this one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. So he reverses the whole principle because he's thinking, well, maybe that could have happened somehow. So I'm going to see if the Lord can do the same thing in reverse. Amazing. Uh, So a lot of resistance, a lot of bargaining, again, it's amazing how little the Lord knows because we always have to tell him what to do. He just, he just must be absent-minded, but thank God he has us. But, uh, but he finally was convinced and he followed the Lord's unique battle plan. And he was so convinced that he let the Lord, he didn't resist anymore. The Lord honed his army of 32,000 men down to 300 versus the thousands of Midianites. Okay, and see what happened. Let's see how this plan worked when he obeyed. In Judges 7, 22 to 25, it said, When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel near Tabith. Israelites from Nephali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and sieve the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Pretty successful plan. It happened just as the Lord said. He had a huge victory. Midianites all captured, kings killed, heads lopped off, and just said that. Just as Moses is in Hebrews eleven, Gideon is mentioned too, and it says, "I don't have time to talk about Gideon, who through faith conquered kingdoms." So, all the resistors are a blessing in the end. The common thread. As God spoke to both of them. And, you know, when they were all in the boat, not catching any fish, and he does, he does this to us, he didn't say, you guys throw the nets in the deep side, just as Gideon was by himself. He spoke directly to Peter. So when we're told to do something, we don't look around saying, this guy can do it. So keep that in mind. He taught, God talks to us individually, and... They all tried to enlighten God, gave him advice, suggested alternatives, wanted to do their own plan. And then after they prevailed, they had great endings. They changed the course of history. And we have the Bible, thank God, and we can get encouragement from that. The other thing it shows with all of them, Jonah, Moses, Gideon, us, it says how much patience the Lord has for us. He's stuck with it. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't cut us off and go on to another person. He sticks with us. He never throws in the towel. And he doesn't give up on us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And when he promises you something, it will happen. Psalms 86.15 says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And thank God for that. He has his plans, and he's going to prevail. He's going to use whatever method that he wants. He uses different people. He uses different men and women. And it's all in his hands. It's not our hands. If he tells you to do it, he's going to make it happen. You've all heard the verse. It's not about our ability, it's about our availability. All of these men and women had sins. And look what they accomplished through the Lord. He doesn't try to pick, you know, the smartest, brightest, best, eloquent speakers. He picks just everyday people. They all have flaws. And it's done through him. Zechariah 4.6 six. <clears throat> Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Almighty. That's actually a song. But it's through his power, his choosing, we just have to obey, and he will make it happen. And we have to listen and pay attention in, our, in, our, in these meetings, in our prayers, in our devotions, in our circumstances. Sherry and I learned a lot going through her, her cancer trial. So if he is nudging you today, he's always nudging us something, somewhere along the line. Uh, Whatever it is, he has a reason. It might be, well, it all has to start out, we all have to get saved first. So if somebody's not saved, you can't serve anybody if you're not saved. So if he's nudging you to get saved, that's step number one. And if you are, if he's nudging you for another reason, anything we do to follow his commands. It could be a blessing to somebody in our family or our friends. or And it also brings about glory to God and we're doing just a tiny bit more for his kingdom when when we obey. If we're just sitting there and then we have a rudder on us, you know, you've heard the Lord is our rudder. If you're in a boat sitting there and you move the rudder, nothing's going to happen. The boat has to be moving to make the rudder go... A different direction. And when we respond in the right way, we're being obedient, and that pleases him. Think about in that upper room, what a blessing, John 14, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, there you may be also. What if they huddled and said, he, Jesus went off to pray, what if they said, hey, He's making it. We're going to be with him later. Let's just lay low until that time comes. We don't want to go through all that persecution. What if they said that? There'd be no Gospels, no Book of Peter or James, no John 3.16, which has led helped so many people get saved. And my father's favorite chapter, John 14. There would be no John 14 that gives us continual, continual comfort. And praise God that they didn't do that. They went on to obey and trust the Lord and do everything what they were supposed to do. The Lord's never going to lead you down a doubtful path. He's not going to do that. Satan, on the other hand, he loves it when we doubt the Lord and we say, I can't do that. Get somebody else. When we deny the Lord, it gives Satan a victory. And we want to please the Lord. So when we get a nudging, as Nike says, just do it. And as the Lord says, as Jesus said, throw your net out into the deep for a big catch. Amen. Now I'd like to ask Mike if he could close in prayer, please.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that our brother Brad has delivered, Lord. And I just pray for everybody here that when you speak, that we will intently listen to what you have to say for us, Lord. And I thank you that you care about your children. And Lord, I I pray this afternoon that uh, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they will realize they need a Savior and bow their knee and ask you into their heart. And then they too can start following instructions that you have for us. Lord, we're so blessed to have the love and the grace and the mercy that you show us each and every day. We just thank you for our salvation. We thank you for being our Lord and Savior. Now, Lord, we pray that as we all head home that You'll give us a a safe journey. Lord, we do love you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.